0: This is the State of Things, broadcasting from the American Tobacco Historic District. I'm Anita Rao. North Carolina's nursing shortage started long before the COVID-19 pandemic. But the demands of the crisis have further stressed an already overtaxed system. As COVID hospitalizations have reached an all-time high in the state, nurses have been asked to work more double and triple shifts with fewer days off. Nurses' fatigue and stress levels are spiking with little relief so are their fears about heightened exposure to COVID-19. With me now are three nurses. Dennis Taylor is president of the North Carolina Nurses Association. Dennis, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Audrey Snyder, also with us, the associate dean for experiential learning and innovation at the UNC Greensboro School of Nursing. Welcome back, Audrey.
2: Thank you, Anita. Happy to be here today.
0: And Shaquita Peacock is a family nurse practitioner at Preston Medical Associates in Cary. Hey, Shaquita, welcome. Thank you. So, Dennis, I'd love to start with you and explain why there was a shortage in North Carolina before the pandemic. That seems like eons ago, but but remind us um, how we got here before before the pandemic even started.
1: Well, I, I would say probably about 18 months or so ago, there was a Georgetown University report that came out and said by 2025, North Carolina would have the second largest shortage of nurses in the United States. Um, Then when you look back also at some other reports, the Bureau of Labor Statistics um, said in the United States by 2024, there would be almost a million vacancies for registered nurses, which was two times as high as what the previous shortages have been. So we have known in North Carolina for several years Mm that we not only had a shortage, but we would be facing an even more severe shortage in the future. A lot of this has had to do not only with uh, some of the educational institutions not being able to completely fill their classes due to lack of the educational uh, professors there to be able to teach it, and that's been at all levels uh from the associate degree, the baccalaureate degree, the masters degree and the doctoral level. Um and and that's really been one of the issues that we have been pushing for for a long time is to try to improve uh those folks uh and and provide pathways for practicing nurses who would like to move into the educational arm of the profession to be able to do that uh, pretty easily.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, that means that we have there. there is a pipeline problem, which means that the folks in the profession right now are having to do more work under, you know, stressed conditions. And I'd love to hear a bit from you, Audrey, about what that has looked like for nurses on the ground with being asked to work extra shifts and, and pick up more responsibilities because of the shortage.
2: I think it's been very challenging, and it's progressed over time. And right now, I think nurses are really, really tired. Uh, we, for example, in our nurse practitioner program, we had 15 students who delayed their acceptance this fall. Hmm. They had a, intended to advance their nursing degree, uh, had intended to Come back to school, but circumstances associated with COVID and their workplace or their home situation prevented them from being able to do that. Um, and we are seeing that also in our PhD program, which would provide advanced. Um, degrees for educators, as well as in our master's program and in our RN to BSN program. So nurses who existing have a nursing degree and are wanting to go on to further their profession and can help contribute to increasing the number of nurses that we would have available. The nurses who are at the bedside are really tired Mm. um, and frustrated at this point. As you said earlier, many are working double shifts, are working more days, not having time off, not having time to recoup. And we talk about this being a pandemic and we talk about this being a disaster. Most of the time when you have a hurricane or you have a situation that changes your surge capacity, that surge capacity happens for a short period of time, and then you have a recovery. Well, our healthcare systems have not had the ability to have a recovery instead, it's just increasing numbers. And what we've seen is nurses who previously didn't work ER or work ICU now having to work in those environments with having, you know, a shortened orientation to provide care in those areas. Um, we see people in management working alongside their nurses um, who have been at the Side to be able to supplement that staff to try and care for them. You know, early on in North Carolina, we didn't have high numbers, and some nurses actually were reassigned to other areas or may have been furloughed. And some who were furloughed took positions in traveling and went to other states um, to provide travel nursing and hotspot areas, and some of them have not come back to work here. So we're seeing definitely a shortage of nurses being able to provide direct patient care.
0: Yeah. I mean, Shaquita, for you, you've been working on the front lines since March, nine months in. How are you feeling energy-wise um, and your ability to keep
3: doing this work? Right. And I agree. We're tired and frustrated um, we have, um, you know, I have plenty of patients who come by and tell me thank you for my for my time that I'm serving as a frontline worker, you know, taking care taking care of and screening patients with COVID. Um, but frustrations come when that thank you is not met with action. Mm. When we see people in the community without masks and not doing any physical distancing, that leaves us a little frustrated. Um, it doesn't, you know, impact the care that I give, but I I am certainly frustrated by that um and um, and would plead to people to make sure that they're they're hearing by those cautions precautions, so that we can um we can get a break we can we can hopefully breathe here in the next you know six to nine months because I think it's going to take that long before us to to grasp any hold or grasp uh, control over what's going on with the pandemic.
0: What has this type of daily work meant for your own personal and family life in terms of being able to keep your family members safe and, and being able to keep yourself safe?
3: Right. Yeah. So um, as a, um, uh, a wife, you know, it's been times that I've not been in the same room or the, bed, the same bed with my husband because of my concerns about COVID exposure. I am the caregiver for my stepfather who recently had a stroke. So um, I have to be extra cautious because he is um, in a higher risk category than he was before he had a stroke in September. Um, we have a sign on our door, um, on his door, excuse me, that says that this is a high risk um, patient here. Please wear a mask. Mm. We have masks at the door. We have hand sanitizers at the door to make sure people are cautious um, with, um, with his risk level. Um, so when they enter the house, we're very protective of, of my mother who is his primary caregiver. Um, so that she's not um, at at risk of transmitting virus to him. Um, I try to provide as many resources to my patients and my my family members to make sure they're educated enough to have respect for the virus, to understand that this um, is not a virus that has a particular uh, path for each patient. Um, That path may be different for each one and may lead to fatality in some. Um, So I want them to have respect to that, for the virus, or to the virus, to the point where they um, adhere to the precautions that have been laid out um, by government agencies um, that can protect them from from transmitting it to others and leading to um, to something with a adverse outcome for themselves.
0: Yeah, I mean, Dennis, are hospitals able to address um, the level of overwork and and fatigue that nurses are experiencing that Shakita referenced?
1: Yeah, it, it is really difficult, I think, for them to to be able to do that. There have been lots of programs that have that we have rolled out, uh, as well as the American Nurses Association that have rolled out to try to help with some of those coping mechanisms. Um, and you know, from from that perspective, I think um, the the Interesting thing about nursing is we have already spent anywhere from uh, two to six or eight years in school learning how to cope with stress. Mm. But this is something that is very different. You know, in our lifetime, we've not seen a pandemic like this, and I think now for people to be able to uh, to be able to cope with those things, it it becomes much more difficult for them to be able to do that. I I think there are lots of programs that are out there where we're looking at stress reduction uh, types of things uh, for folks to be able to do. Uh, Programming, we're offering programming for that around recognition of stress, reducing stress, and coping with it. Relaxation techniques, uh, something we call brain breaks, Um, exercise, healthy eating oftentimes in times of stress, People will stress eat, and it's always not the most healthy food that they consume. So we've been doing a lot trying to educate people how to at least begin to cope with some of the stress they may be feeling, both in their professional lives and their personal lives.
0: Well, what you allude to is so interesting because th- this is so different, both because of the sustained nature and the type of care that patients require. I read this interesting set of profiles yesterday about ICU nurses describing what it's like to take care of patients and how, you know, one second you can feel like things are fine and the next second kind of everything explodes. And so, Audrey, I wonder about kind of the way nurses have to work to care for COVID patients and the particular kind of toll that that intricacy of work is taking?
2: It's intense because um, that means nurses are on constantly while they're on the job. And a a big part of the challenge is watching the number of people die. Mm. Um, And for many of these nurses who work in ICU, they have someone who, who... They may come in severely ill or they may come in and they're trending in a downward trend. Um, I think one of the um, largest uh, areas that nurses, you know, we're taught as a nurse to care not just for the patient but for the whole family. And in these situations, many times the family can't be there with the patient because of COVID. And so the nurse is mourning for the family. And they're taking the place many times of that family being the person present when someone dies. And that piece also is taking a large emotional toll on them.
0: I know that none of you all are um, policymakers per se, but I would love to kind of pose some questions to you about how the state is handling things right now. There's been a big focus on, you know, the three W's and, and really trying to get people to wear masks. We do have a mask mandate. There was a new order from the governor. Um, Dennis, maybe I can start with you about kind of what what you feel like needs to be done and what you wish people were better understanding in this moment.
1: Well, I, I want to start off by saying that I think the, the governor and Secretary Cohen have both done a great job with uh, evaluating the state of North Carolina in terms of the things that we need, in terms of ordering the additional PPE that uh, that folks need, getting it distributed everywhere is obviously a process. But I think in terms of the initial reaction to the things that uh, the governor and the secretary have both done, have have both put our state in as good a position as I think we can be in. But I think legislatively there are certainly things that can be done that I think would help. Um, and one of those things that we uh, that we have uh, been pushing for a long time uh, is what we call the SAVE Act, which is safe, accessible, value-directed, and excellent health care through modernizing nursing regulations. And that basically takes away some of the regulations that were put on advanced practice nurses um, almost 40 years ago. There's been no significant change in the North Carolina Nursing Practice Act in regards to advanced practice nurses in almost 40 years. Hmm. And I think it's time for us to modernize uh, that particular act and to allow all nurses, not just advanced practice nurses, but all nurses, to practice to the top of their education and experience. Um, and, you know, when you look at the population of North Carolina, almost half of the population is in 80 rural North Carolina counties. And we know through passing this legislation, which according to a Duke University study that was done a few years ago, could save the state anywhere from $433 million to $4.3 billion to 4300000000 dollars and create almost 4,000 new jobs in the state. Hmm. So for something that would not cost the state anything but save that much money, um, it, it almost seems like a no-brainer. Um, yeah,
0: I mean, this would this would remove physician supervision requirements, which would allow these advanced practice registered nurses and clinical nurse midwives to be able to to practice more freely. And I guess that would apply to you, Shaquita. You are a family nurse practitioner. How would it change your work to be able to have, um, to be able to do it without that f- physician supervision?
3: Right. So, yes, um, it won't necessarily change what I do, but it, it will change things that impact the ability for me to do what I do. Um, so I would no longer be required to have a uh, a, a, a form signed to say that I've met with my um, supervising physician who happens to be my business partner, and we meet on a multiple times throughout the day and consult in regards to patients. Um, and it will then free me up to actually take care of the patients that are at in my office that are that are standing or sitting in front of me. So it allows me to pay attention to what is um, um, directly in regards to the patient care needs versus paperwork. So it will free me up to um, actually pay attention to the important things as in educating people around the virus, which is what I spent quite a bit of my time doing over the last nine months.
0: Audrey, as we're in this moment where we have this really rough patch that we're in right now with the hope of a vaccine on the horizon, what are you hearing about um, preparation for the vaccine in terms of nurse allocation and how all of this will come into the picture when we're talking about hospital resource challenges and, and the need for bodies to be able to help serve sick patients?
2: So every uh, county has a disaster plan, and previously mass vaccine distribution was a part of that disaster plan, so most counties have pulled out that plan and looked at uh, what are their resources. We know that public health globally has had funding funding cut federally um, for several years now. There's been a significant trend over the last six to ten years in different areas as far as the funding for public health, and that includes our public health departments. So many areas are operating on a shoestring to begin with, and that's with finances and with manpower. With the vaccine um, distribution plans, many of those, if they have an affiliation with a nursing school, actually include the nursing program faculty and students as a part of that plan to be able to help with vaccine distribution. I spoke with a nurse in the public health department in a rural county yesterday who they are actually already meeting with their emergency medical services in the region because EMS personnel, some of them are already trained in doing uh immunizations that are IM injections, and so they could pull those in uh, as part of the manpower to distribute the vaccines as well. Of course, nurses who may have retired but have maintained their license, trying to pull some of those back out. But one of the challenges is that many of those nurses may already be at high risk, um, and they may not be willing to come out of retirement, or they may be caring for a family member that is also high risk. So there are some challenges associated with that as well.
0: Dennis, as, as you look forward to these next few months and, and look at the nurses that are um, working around North Carolina and are going to be working during this really difficult time, what do you wish that um, you could tell them and kind of an assurance you could give them about um, getting through this next period?
1: I would tell them that this is still the greatest profession that they could ever choose to do. Um, I, I have been a nurse for over 20 years and this is a actually a, a third career for me and i have never felt uh more satisfaction and more excitement to get up in the morning and come i even hate to say a place of work because it it, it isn't work it it's it's doing and fulfilling a passion that you have to take care of other people so I would tell them that uh, this is an incredible profession, in which the the feedback that you get from the patients and the families every day uh, is just is far beyond any type of monetary compensation that you can get, uh, and it, it's just a, it's a it's a wonderful uh, profession to be a part of, and especially right now.
0: Thank you so much to all of you for talking with us today and for your service. And this time, Dennis Taylor, the president of the North Carolina Nurses Association, Audrey Snyder, the associate dean for experiential learning and innovation at the UNC Greensboro School of Nursing, and Jaquita Peacock, a family nurse practitioner at Preston Medical Associates in Cary. Thank you all so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Anita. North Carolina Public Radio is a broadcast service of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I'm Anita Rao.